welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is with the brilliant Natasha Martani. Um, I have had some emails from you lovely people asking for some more stories from people with a South Asian heritage and from the South Asian community. And Natasha is a relationship and divorce coach um, who particularly focuses on empowering women through cultural conditioning that can come um, from different religions and different backgrounds and especially within the South Asian community, which she is from. She talks about her own breakup and what that looked like for her, her own divorce, and then also some really useful tools if anyone relates to her story and some advice that she gives with some of the clients she works with as well. So enjoy. I am joined by divorce coach Natasha Matani. Welcome to the Divorce Social. Thanks. Thanks, Samantha. How does it feel, me welcoming you to the Divorce Social? <laughs> it feels good now, but if you'd asked me a couple of years ago when I first started, there was like a slight, slight awkwardness, only because that's what came from the people around me as opposed to me thinking about it. But now you feel okay, excited accepted yeah I'm excited because ever since I sort of got into the field of relationship and divorce coaching I saw just how necessary it was and I get so many dms from people who just say oh thank you for speaking up about it like for so long I felt you know really bad about it and now I know that it's something that's happening you know it's one of those things especially within the South Asian community but I think in general across all communities that it's not spoken about as openly you know as it should be uh, and in the South Asian community, there's still so much like pity attached to the word. Um, but now I'm really excited about it because I just think it's giving voice to people who perhaps previously didn't feel like they could express themselves. Amazing. So can I take you back for a minute to your divorce? So how long ago was that? And sort of where were you in the world? Yeah. So when I got when I separated I was living in Hong Kong at the time and I moved back to London with my 15 month old um, and that was nine and a half years ago so it's been a while and then the di actual divorce proceedings took about two years so I've been divorced for seven and a half years. So getting divorced or separated in Hong Kong how was that did you have a support network around you or is that why you came back to the UK? I came back because 
I was supposed to be moving. It's a bit of a long story, but I was supposed to be moving to the Caribbean. So London was on the way. And I came back essentially home to London. Um, but so I didn't have a support network in terms of having any family out there. But I was really lucky that I had a really close group of friends. But saying that, they didn't really know they couldn't support me because they didn't really know details of what was happening. So again, within the community, it can often be really hard to speak about, you know, to speak about things. And until things are very final, you don't tend to say anything because you're just not sure, you know, how, how it's going to land and stuff like that. So I didn't, I didn't speak to a lot of people, but I think close friends who knew something was up kind of supported me in the best way that they could at the time. So that's interesting. So you don't tell people until it's all finalized. So did you feel a little bit like you had to keep this big secret and pretend everything was fine? Um, a little bit. So I wouldn't say it was a complete secret. I think people can kind of see what's see what's going on or read between the lines and stuff like that. But in terms of the actual, like, official, yes, we're separated. And yes, I've now filed for divorce. Yeah, that felt that felt like a secret. And I look back now and I'm just like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I guess it was, you know, my mindset and my state of mind at the time. And I just remember, you know, making assumptions. Like I thought, well, you know, this person should know, but they haven't reached out to me or, you know, they haven't kind of messaged me to check if I'm okay once I'd moved back to London. But I was making assumptions that they even knew what was going on. And because I'd never said anything, I guess that didn't give them the space to say anything back to me. Yeah. So why did you... I guess, why did you feel like it had to be a secret? What did you think people would say in your community if you said we're getting a divorce? Yeah, so there's always this idea that, like, especially when you're separated, like, what if things were to work out? Like, what if this is just a tricky, you know, patch and I've taken some time out and this were to work out? This idea that you don't want anyone to believe that your marriage ever had any trouble, you know, or that you ever went through a challenging time. Um, and I think as a community, we still judge like challenging marriages so like harshly, even though let's be honest, like everyone's going through a challenging time. No marriage in any community is a walk in the park. You know, everyone has their ups and downs, but I feel like there's a more, um, specific intention especially across social media now so in the last kind of decade to portray this really happy you know this happy marriage um and it's actually to the detriment of so many people because if we actually said let me look at my marriage more honestly and think about what I need to do to work on it as opposed to portraying it in a certain light we'd be a lot happier. And that seems so obvious. And yet it doesn't happen. You know, I had a client, I think last year. And at one point I had to say to her, okay, listen, because, you know, she was crying on our, in our sessions. And I had to say to her, if I looked at only your social media, I'd have no clue. In fact, I'd look at it and think that's the kind of marriage I want. So we need to bring how you're feeling right now in these conversations and what you're showing into alignment a little bit, because it's so, it's so far out of alignment. Um, but sometimes we don't even think that we're we're doing it. There's almost these expectations, especially with with certain couples. There's almost these expectations that people have of them. And then once you're kind of placed on that pedestal as such, it's really hard to kind of come off of that. And I think to a certain extent, my ex-husband and I were on one of those pedestals. You know, he was very um, publicly affectionate and stuff like that and so then to be like oh my god no but if only you knew what was happening behind closed doors so it was one of those like how do I come off of this and admit that actually things things have been pretty bad for a while now it's funny I remember when I was married someone said to me towards the end of my relationship just before the divorce you're the perfect couple and that phrase really like stayed with me and I remember that when we were breaking up I was like but should we break up? Because, you know, my friend said we're the perfect couple. And and I think from my perspective, you know, that sort of pretending to the world, which I totally did, that everything was fine, made me feel worse because then by comparison, things were so not fine that it made me feel terrible. Um, 
So yeah, it's interesting about social media and and posting on social media because also I'm in a new relationship now and I'm very much like, oh, when should I start posting on social media? Should I post them on social media at all? Like, should I just talk about it or pretend it's not happening or it's a very it's a very kind of new worry in relationships I guess yeah should I like should I post on social media like when is too soon right like two weeks into our relationship or two months or when it's like quote-unquote official yeah (laughs) social media is tricky so you said just going back you said you were in Hong Kong and then you came to the UK and you had a 15 month old. So what was that like? Um, getting divorced, you're in a different country, presumably from your ex, you have a new baby, you know, what did you do? Where did you stay? How did you cope? Oh, yeah, that that was a really challenging time. I, my family lived in London. So I moved back to London and moved, uh, moved back in with my parents until I could, you know, find my feet. Um, my son, Shavane, he, he was so young, you know, 15 months. He was just about like toddling around. Um, so it was so it was really, really challenging. But I guess I'm really lucky in that I have quite a liberal family, at least by South Asian standards. Um, and so they've been really hands on and, you know, emotionally supported us for like the last nine years. Um, and my son is very attached to my dad. So so that all you know, that essentially eventually worked itself out. Um, but it was it was tricky because he was so young. And how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, at this time when you moved back with your parents? Um, just shy of 30. Okay. So how did that feel at 30, moving back in with the parents again after you've had all this freedom, been living in a different country? Yeah, so it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, within uh asian culture it's quite common you know for people to live with their families even when they're in their 20s and 30s and they're married um so there was part of me that was like okay well this is you know this is sort of normal but there was another part of me that felt like a complete and utter failure (laughs) and also i you know i was the kind of good responsible you know moldable really uh girl growing up and so I think it was even harder because I didn't understand how I even got myself into that situation you know like I I was very tolerant you know and, and everyone was just like oh yeah you know they, it's almost like you're praised for the things that now I look back and be like I sh- what like I shouldn't be praised for being super tolerant there's a really fine line between being tolerant and just accepting things that's you know are unacceptable um and so I think the overarching failure wasn't so much like oh, I've come back and I'm living at home. It was, I can't believe this is, this has happened to me. Like, I can't believe I couldn't make it work or, you know, I, I'm a fa- I'm like a, such a failure. I couldn't make my marriage work because again, there's this idea that the responsibility, the whole responsibility to make a marriage work is placed um, on the woman. I don't know if you kind of felt the same, but I, I know within my culture, that's definitely the case even today. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I love that, you know, in your community, living with your family isn't a, is kind of the norm. Um, Because I think a lot of people, when they have to move back in with their family, especially from white Christian backgrounds, feel very like, oh, I'm sort of taking a step backwards. And instead of viewing it as like, well, they're your original support network. So, you know, what a lovely place to be when you're going through a really hard time. I think we can feel like, oh, I'm I'm reverting to a child because I'm moving back in with my parents. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I felt that the the sole responsibility for me was on the woman to keep the marriage going. But I do think that people maybe look at you differently when they find out you're a divorced woman to finding out you're a divorced man. And we've spoken about this a little bit on the podcast before of like people, guys say when they say they're divorced, people assume that they had some, you know, fling with someone. Mm. And, um, and when women say we're divorced, people assume that we didn't want to get divorced and it's this terrible thing that's ruining our lives. 
And I think that's why people reacted strangely to me when I first said I was divorced because I was excited. <laughs> and yeah. they were like, oh, you're you're okay. You're not gonna cry like right now in the middle of the supermarket. And I was like, well, sometimes I would cry in the middle of the supermarket. But you know, when I started telling people, I actually felt this sense of like freedom and excitement. And mm. I think they were thrown by that. 100%. So one of the things I often say to people is, you know, don't throw yourself a pity party because people will meet you where you're at. That's not to say that for the first year after I was separated, I didn't. I did that. I wallowed in my, you know, oh, my yeah, me too. <laughs> but after, even if divorce came up or someone asked me like, oh, you married? I wouldn't just say, oh, no, I'm single. I'd be like, oh, I'm happily divorced. And you're right. It does throw them because they're kind of like, Oh, like they pause for a second because they don't know how to respond. You can see it on their face. Their face doesn't know how to respond. They don't know how to respond because it's like, how could you possibly be, you know, happy and like happily divorced? But I think, yeah, how you, you know, how you say it to people, they then meet you where you're at. So suddenly the pity goes out the window and they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they, they're sort of initially thrown and then, but, but then after that, they seem to get on board pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I like that happily divorced. So, I mean, with the South Asian community that you grew up in, what what do you think was the kind of ideal of marriage that was taught to you? And, and then what was the effect of coming out of that and getting a divorce? I think growing up, even if my parents didn't say, because like I said, I had, I had pretty liberal parents with, with South Asians, but society at large, it was you know, get married by young, like 23, 24. You were like celebrating if you got married. And back then, I think it's changed now. I think there is a bit more focus now on like, make sure you, you know, you work for a few years and then get married. Like, But it's still kind of, you know, expected by like 27, 28. But back then, it, this was 15 years ago. It was 23, 24. So I ticked that box. <laughs> um, so it was get married really young, you know, know that it take, marriage takes time. The first five years are really tough. Um, you will move to wherever your husband, you know, sort of lives. So it doesn't matter where in the world that is. And so his business is a, you know, is a priority. Um, so I'm, I'm a Sindhi. Sindh is now part of Pakistan after the partition. It was, it became part of Pakistan. So Sindhis had to flee. It's uh, one of, not one of, it is the largest mass migration ever. And they fled to all parts of the world. So you'll find Sindhis everywhere. And I don't know where this tradition began, but with Sindhis, they, you get your horoscopes matched to see if the person that you're marrying is, is, a, is a match for you. Um, and after that, this is going to shock you, but after that, the woman is expected to change her first name. So not just her last name, but her first name to, to match so that the stars align with her husband's initials. And I remember being like, but, you know, why, why the woman? Like, why not the man? Like, why doesn't he, you know, he changed his name. And it was like, oh, because he's like already established in work and business by then. And so it'd be really tricky if he changes his name where there's this idea and there's even a ceremony within the, the wedding ceremony called a Kanyadan where your parents basically hand you over to the boy's family. And with that, you kind of are expected to, cut ties from your family so you're no longer that person and so with this new name change you become this whole new you know this whole new person um so these were some of like sort of you know the expectations and then of course that you'd be the one who kind of took care of the home and that you were doing the the cooking and managing the home even if you were working that was still your responsibility and your duty and stuff like that so like I said it is changing you know, but 15 years ago, that was very much, you know, the, the roles were very sort of gender specific, gender stereotyped. I'm so interested in this name change because I've never heard this before. So how does that work? So do your initials then have to be the same as your husband's initials? So no, not the same. It's just initials that match. So typically, uh, for example, if someone is, if his initial begins with A, usually K would go, K would go with that. So there's certain initials that just sort of they say go together. I can tell you from experience okay. that that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some there's some rule that these initials go well together, and so you yeah. have yeah. to bend to that. Yeah, 
yeah, the expectation is that you will bend to that. So now, do you go under your original first name from when you were born, your married first name, or do, or have you picked your own? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't picked my own. Natasha Mitani is the name that I was born with, and that's what I go by now. Yeah. But the, to me, the craziest thing about all of this, uh, well, the craziest thing is the name change, but my son's birth certificate has uh, what was my married first name and last name. And so I was telling him about these name changes the other day. He's 10 now. And he just turned around and he's like, well, who, wait, that was you. So who was that? Who was that? Am I adopted? I'm like, oh no, you're not adopted. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, you know, his like mind was blown. Because it looks like a completely different person on his birth certificate. Yeah, totally, totally different person. So then I had to get a deed poll and, you know, any, anytime I have to give his, provide his birth certificate, it has to go with the deed poll to show the, to show the name change. Wow. So also, what was it like, you know, getting used to be called a new name that, so is the whole name given to you or, or do they say it has to be a name beginning with this initial and then you can pick the name? Yeah. So it just has to be a name with this initial and then, and then you can pick the name. In some, in some very traditional families, they will pick the name, but I, I, I got to pick mine. So what was it like getting used to being called a new name? So what's really funny is that because I had a lot of friends at uni that were from Hong Kong, just, you know, by coincidence, when I moved there, the new name didn't really stick. So everyone, most people just called me Natasha. Um, so the new name's supposed to be adopted by your in-laws and um, anyone you meet after you get married. So there's this really, you know, it's like, you essentially go by by two names. Some people will still call you Natasha or your family, you know, my my family that I was born into would call me Natasha, but all my new family would call me by the other name. Um, so, but most people, but I knew a lot of people there, so they all just called me Natasha. And then when I started working, I went by, by my sort of married name. Um, and I remember about a year into my job, my manager, who had become a really good friend, found out about Natasha. And she was just like, what? no, you're a total Natasha and just, just changed to calling me Natasha. So yeah, I, I, it didn't change for me too much. How did that feel? Because I know it's only kind of representative a name, but it must've felt like a bit of this dual identity of the, the you that you were kind of born and then grew into and then married you. Did there feel like a conflict? At the time they didn't because it was all I knew. So most people that I knew back then, um, the majority of people had their, had their name changed. It's just, and because it was such a normalized part of being Sindhi. And again, I say Sindhi, not Indian, because it, I think it is very specific to the Sindhi community. Um, but because it was such a normalized part of it, I guess it didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel weird. It's only now as I kind of cut through all that cultural conditioning and question everything that I'm just like how is that even still happening <laughs> but it is so when you got divorced as well you how soon did you revert back to your the name that you were born with and you know how was that process of the deed poll as well for the birth certificate because I I remember I changed my last name but I actually only changed it on like my Tesco club card and one <laughs> credit card but even changing those back was like such a stressful like just so much paperwork whereas when you change to your married name it's so easy they just take it but getting divorced seems like everyone makes everything even harder I like it you have it on the important things your Tesco club card yeah. and a credit <laughs> did card you, and a credit card did you um did you get a deed poll or did you just show a like your decree absolute no so my um my passport had always stayed in my family name, my um, pre-married name. So, um, so that was easy because I could just show my passport and then they'd change it back. So I didn't have to do a deed poll or anything. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the deed poll makes it slightly easier because the deed poll is really easy to get. You don't have to sort of 
prove anything. I guess anyone can change their name as many times as they like. So I just got a deep pull and then every, and it's recognized everywhere. So everywhere I had to change it um, back. I just gave them the deep pull and they did it. They did it pretty quickly. Did it feel like a kind of occasion within the divorce proceedings of like changing your name back? It did. Because I feel in my head, I feel like maybe it's like a, you know, this ritual of like, and now I'm me again. (laughs) Definitely. It definitely felt like that. So even though I was separated in 2013, because the divorce took two years, I didn't change my name back until after it was all, it was all done. So it was only in 2015. And I just remember being so excited because the first thing I got was a new passport and I got my new passport back and it said Natasha Matani. And I just remember thinking, I'm never going to change my name again. (laughs) I love my name. I don't even think I'm going to change my last name. I meet someone else who's just going to have to, I don't know, double barrel it or just accept me as I am because that was it. I, I swore I would never change. Yeah, I would never change my identity for anyone else ever again. It's funny. I think I had a similar reaction. I was like, also, I think after my dad passed away, because it's just me and my sister, and obviously traditionally Mm. the surname is passed down through a male line, I thought, oh my gosh, if we both get married and change our names, like my dad's surname is going to be gone. And I sort of didn't like the idea of that as well. So yeah, definitely. Since my divorce, I'm like, I love Baines. Baines yeah. is the best name ever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ding dong, it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So you're going through all of this like deep poll, you move back in with your family. How did you explain to your son what was going on? And when did you, you know, did he start asking questions? Because he was so young when it was happening. Yeah. So this, this is where the plot thickens a little bit. So for the first couple of years, his father would come to London, you know, sporadically, like a, maybe like four to three or four times a year. And he would see him, I guess, because my son was so young, he didn't, you know, children don't always understand the concept of time. So whether he'd been gone for like three months or whatever, he was so little that he just knew he saw this person from time to time. Um, 
and and from when he from a very young age the only thing I ever used to say to him I think from when he was young I was like two and a half I used to say to him you know there's all sorts of different families in the world some have like a mom and dad some have two moms some have two dads some have some live with their grandparents and they don't you know have a mom or dad and but at the end of the day a family of people that love you and I'd say who are your family and he'd like you know name everyone um including like my brother who he's very attached to and my mom and my dad and my nephews because he's like they're like my brothers so he always grew up with that when he turned three or just after his yeah just after his third birthday um my ex-husband went off the grid so it's been seven and a half years we haven't like heard a single thing from him um and I think that's when I thought okay now how am I going to manage this you know how am I going to ensure that my son doesn't feel that void or rather just knows that it's not his fault or that he's that he's loved um so i never i chose never to ever say anything bad about his his father um and i wouldn't i mean i just did i didn't talk about him i guess i didn't know what i should have said at the time um and he he never asked me and then when he got to i think about five or six he asked, I guess by then you're like properly into school, right? You're in like year one or two and things start coming up. So what I realized that um, between the ages of four and six, um, every time he would talk about, uh, like, you know, he would, he would talk about my dad as his dad. So if the kids were all talking about something, you know, what they did on the weekend, he'd be like, I went swimming with my dad, but he was talking about my dad. Um, so I would always talk to the school, sit them down and say, this is, this is the situation. So if he is saying that, like, just give him space to say what he needs to say, because he also needs to feel like he's not missing out. Right. It's that little child brain. That's like, Oh, you have this kind of male person I also have this male person but then when he was six he he started asking a couple of questions and I talked to him about it I was always very uh, upfront and then he kind of parked it again um, and I did speak to him and said oh this is you know our dad that's what he calls my dad so that there was a bit of a separation so that he wasn't getting confused and then when he was about eight he had a couple more questions um, you know and again I was always kind of happy to answer them um, it was only earlier this year when he turned 10 that you know, I, I guess he started wondering, like, this is not the norm. So what's, you know, what's going on here? And I remember speaking to a friend of mine who's um, a child psychologist, because I would always say to him, like, when he got to 10, I, I said to him, yes, I'm really sorry. It is a shit situation, but you're so loved. And she she said to me, don't add the but, just just acknowledge. And I thought that's so powerful. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about that. So now, you know, and now, and now he's, He's, he's fine. He doesn't really ask. He's very matter, matter of fact about it. Um, I think also, you know, we moved, we moved to Lagos uh, in August because this is where I grew up and I really wanted him to have community, especially going into his kind of pre-teens and stuff and also just to have some support. Um, and he's made a friend who uh, lost his, his dad. And I think for the first time he felt so seen because prior to that, he was like, I understand that parents get divorced, but they're both still there. Whereas now he's like, I'm not the only person in the world that doesn't have a dad, which has been just huge, you know, for him. Yeah. And, but what was that like for, for both of you, I guess, when your ex went off the grid, did it feel nice in some ways? Cause you didn't have to deal with him or did it feel, I don't know, like a betrayal? Yeah, a bit of both. So it was, I was very puzzled. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it felt nice, not initially. I, I, I was angry because I just thought this is such a huge responsibility, like raising a child is such a huge responsibility. I didn't sign up to do this on my own. Um, but I think over time, having spoken to, you know, spoken to people that you realize you'd rather have like stable, like good people in your life. And, and so from that point of view, I was just like, maybe it is a blessing in disguise because I can provide stability, um, stability for my son. So at least, you know, that's a blessing, but I guess to be honest, it's like anything in life, right? We find the silver lining because that's, that's what keeps us, keeps us going. So no, we're, we're good. I'm sure there'll be times when he's, uh, a little older where he might wish that he had that but I'd like to think that 
you know, even with the move here and just in general with my family, he's, he feels very loved and supported and has those male, um, male figures in both my dad and my brother. And, and how did the off the grid happen? Because I guess, you know, with my ex, we were talking a little bit and every so often we'll like check in. But I would say now, you know, we haven't spoken to each other for quite a while. But I guess I know he's still there if I ever needed to contact him. How how did it happen? Was he like just not replying to messages or did he say, I'm going away for a bit now, bye? <laughs> no, it literally just didn't show up for a FaceTime call. Didn't show up the week after, didn't show up the week after and that was it. And and did you try and contact him and just got nothing back? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, so I've had to go to court a couple of times because to move here we had to get permission to get a visa for my son. We had to get permission, and so there's been I've I've tried to contact him a lot because he's still got parental responsibility. Um, I still uh, to this day send my son's report cards. <laughs> So I, I send them and I always say, let me know if you've got them, but I never hear anything back. So twice or three times a year, depending on how often, which school he's at, how often the report card comes out, I still send them. Um, so I, I can sleep at night, but yeah, it's it's just brick wall. Do you know that he's living at a place or he yeah, might have yeah. moved and you're just sending them to? Oh, no, no. I send them to his email address. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, like wow. I said, the community is small. The community is small, so I very much know where he is but I guess it's a choice he made but how does that feel for you because a person you married has just disappeared from your life I know you said it was hard to begin with but how does it feel now Mm. so I suppose it's one of those questions I'll always have only because I'll never understand it Right? Like I'll never understand how someone can choose choose that. But in terms of not having someone in my life, I feel like it's been so long now. Maybe for the first few years, I was like, oh, this is weird. This person's been in my life for so long now. But I, I look back now and it's it's been so long, it's almost like it didn't happen. And all I, all I have from that time is this amazing child. It's almost like he's just, you know, he's just mine. <laughs> like I don't associate him with anyone else anymore because there's no one else there. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't have any kind of ill feelings towards him. I also don't have any, um, kind of longing for the fact that this person was in my life for so long and now isn't it, it kind of, it is what it is, right? Or it is what it was. <laughs> yeah. And so after you've been through all this experience, when did you decide to become a divorce coach and how did that kind of manifest? So I wanted to be a coach since I was about 17. <laughs> I, I knew, you know, people would ask me, what do you want to do? I was always the person who said, like, I want to help people. I want to change the world. Um, but I was a real empath. I still am, but I didn't kind of have the emotional resilience I needed. And I remember my mom saying to me, and rightly so, um, you can do it, but you have to be really strong yourself because when people say things to you, if you're like, oh my God, this is happening to this person and it lowers, you know, your vibration, then, you know, you're constantly going to fall ill and just because you're taking on all that energy. So it took me, you know, almost 20 years to kind of like realize that but in the meantime I did a coaching qualification I qualified um you know as a life coach back in 2014 um but I still didn't feel ready to do it in a full-time capacity and so I, I was working and doing a whole bunch of other things I you know worked at Goldman Sachs I've been a jewelry designer I went back to uni and did a postgrad in education I was teaching so a whole bunch of things and then I did I think it was a couple of years before lockdown or a year before I thought what do I really want to do like I feel strong enough now having been through the work myself and been through these experiences to to do the coaching full-time um so I started putting it out there I had a few clients it was very general um and then I did some training with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi and they were like you need to find your dot like that one person that you want to help and having been through the experience myself and had so many people who would reach out to me, have, you know, knowing that I went through it and just say, this is what I'm experiencing. Like, what should I do? Or this is what I'm going through in my DMs. I was like, that's the person I want to help. You know, that, that South Asian woman or even that woman of 
color because I've grown up, you know, all over the place. I really understand the cultural nuances within, um, you know, different relationships uh, in different cultures. And I thought that's what I want to do. So I went and did um, some training and became an accredited divorce coach. But as I was working with people, I realized that actually so many people, if they'd seen a relationship coach, while they were married you know or even before because you know the best time to work on your marriage is before you even get married but if, if they'd seen a relationship coach it might not have even come to to divorce um you know and in, in, in for many people and so I went back and did some further training about a year ago um, and became a certified relationship coach but I didn't want to let go of that space that I created for people you know especially women of color to be able to you know to hold that space for them so um I, I essentially am a relationship and divorce coach I really you know I'm in the business of saving people's marriages like I really want more people to stay married but if for any reason and there are lots of reasons that someone chooses to get divorced then I really want to ensure that they thrive I want them to know that it's not it's not the end of the world you know it might be the end of things as they know it but if they do you know if they do the sort of quote unquote work, then, you know, it could be the beginning, like a new beginning and the beginning of their kind of second act. Um, and so I still feel, and I still feel really powerful, um, not powerful, I still feel really passionate about destigmatizing divorce, more specifically in the South Asian community, because it's still seen as like, there's still the stigma attached to it. There's still far too many people who are choosing to stay in very unhappy situations because there's an expression, um, which basically means what will people say and so there's lots of people staying you know because of that and the other big piece is there's lots of people who have no choice but to stay because of um, financial reasons so and again a lot of the time that's just the way that fam you know a lot of um, Indians are in family businesses and the way those are structured don't always protect the woman so Another thing I talk about a lot on my Instagram is financial literacy. And this is this is not just for divorce. This is also, you know, in the case of in the case of death. If you, you know, especially COVID with everything that happened and you know, there were lots of people who lost um their partners. If you don't have that financial literacy, and I'm not talking about understanding, you know, how the stock market works and the ins and outs, but just having some sort of financial literacy. So should something, you know, God forbid happen, then you are able to stand on your own two feet. Like you're not 100% dependent. You're able to, you know, understand where your assets are, how, how you can invest. And luckily, you know, with social media, and I guess considering what we were saying earlier in the conversation, this is actually the good thing about social media. You know, there's so many amazing accounts um, that teach you for free, you know, financial literacy and anything else you want to access. So we live in a time where I don't think there's any excuse anymore to not, you know, to not understand what's going on, whether, you know, it's within, you know, finances or working on your relationship. And and what do you think, because I think it's so interesting that you're a relationship and divorce coach. What do you think that um, is important about seeing people when they're in a relationship and that coaching process? I'm just thinking if people are listening and they're thinking, oh, my marriage isn't going well. I'm considering that we might need to get divorced. Do we need to see a relationship coach or what? Yeah. What can that help us with? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. The first thing I would tell anyone who is in a relationship to go and take John Gray's love language quiz. So it's online. It's a real, you know, in terms of understanding how you like to be loved what you appreciate and how your partner shows love because you know so often you'll hear people saying he doesn't do this and she's always saying that and actually if you understood that that was them just expressing you know their love it's a conversation that you can have right and then you can actually say to the person this is what I need from you so this is how I feel loved and I know that you love me because you're showing it in this way um but this is how I need it and then the person has the opportunity to meet you where you're at but if we don't even understand ourselves like what it is that we need how can we tell the other person what it is that we need and what what we need from them I remember I had this um client once and she you know, she needed 
physical affection and she was Ghanaian and so you know her family were like really loud and physically affectionate and stuff like that and she married um someone who you know in her words was you know very like middle class English um and he didn't grow up with a dad and so he his was like acts of service he was an amazing husband a phenomenal dad but he just didn't you know he didn't have that kind of constantly holding her hand or hugging and stuff like that and understanding their love languages and then being able to say actually this is this is what i need to feel loved you know to feel excited and for him to say what he needed it was a complete it was a complete game changer so i would say to anyone listening to this go and do do the love languages quiz just just on that i was going to say i did that quiz after my divorce and it made me, even looking back, made me realize so much of like why I was missing what I was missing and why and the things my ex was maybe doing to show his love, but that I didn't um, look at as a love language in the same way because we obviously had different languages. So, yeah, I think it is it's such an interesting quiz to do. Yeah. And also what I would say to everyone is write down what you think you are. So of the kind of five that there are, write down what you think you are and then do the quiz. Because I did that and I was like, oh, <laughs> it was so surprising to me what actually came, you know, what actually came out of it. Yeah. I thought I liked gifts. I would have said that that's my one, like physical, like being given a present. And then it's not that at all. I think mine is like um, quality time. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's funny because I thought mine was going to be quality time. <laughs> and and my my big one, because again, you can be several of them, but the majority one for me was um, acts of service. So I think I end up like doing so much that just having someone take something off my plate without me asking is, is so huge. I feel really loved when someone does that. So yeah, I would say to everyone, go and do it. If you haven't done it, Google it, John Gray's Five Love Languages quiz and and do that. Even if you're single, I just think it's useful to know, you know, yeah. you've never been divorced or whatever. That's totally true. Because even when you're dating, um, you know, I, I you're right. I had a, a someone else, you know, that was working with me and I said to her, do it because she's single. And I said, it gives you an idea of, you know, conversations that you can have when you're on a date or what you need, you know, what you need when you're, you're, going into a relationship and how to kind of let the person know from the get-go that that's how you, you know, you like to feel loved. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but no, the second thing is, and, and this is really not about blame, it's just about taking personal responsibility. And I always ask, I ask people to ask themselves the question, what's really going on here? So when you're getting into an argument with your partner or, you know, in any any relationship that you're in, to just sit down after, take a minute to kind of, you know, get a piece of paper, write what's going on, and then just ask yourself what's really going on here and just start writing out, you know, the thoughts and the feelings and then do a complete kind of um, mind dump as such of everything that's going on. Because very often you'll find, you might find out that there's a part of you that experienced something in your past or, you know, experienced something with your parents or saw something modeled to you that then gave you the kind of, blueprint for what you expect um and when you figure out that that's what it is and you can take personal responsibility you actually realize that you can you have the ability to change that as opposed to waiting for the other person to change that and I think it just gives you your power back you know it gives you your power back when you can take that personal responsibility and like I said it's not blame because people are like but it's not my fault I'm like yeah I get that I get that it's not your fault but you're giving away your power when you're always assigning the blame to somebody else when you can take personal responsibility, you have the power to change the situation and to change the dynamic between you and that person. So that's a really, really powerful question to ask yourself. That's really interesting. Thank you. And thank you. It's been so brilliant to talk to you. Where can people find you online and on social media? Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm on Instagram. I, I love it as a platform. I do have a Facebook group, but I'm transitioning out of it. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Natasha Coaches. Um, so yeah, people can follow me there. DM me. I'm always up to having a chat in the DMs. Um, and my website is natashamatani.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Samantha. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.